Welcome to Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Sky Day is coming up. It's September 21st. The only one Sky organization started Sky Day to encourage people and students to get involved with the sky, photograph the sky, and do some citizen science and art. And Ben Whitehouse is here. He's the artist behind the Sky Day project, and it's good to see you again. Nice to see you. Great to be here. Thanks. Explain why you started doing this project. Yeah, so our mission is to bring talented artists like astronaut Akunot and artist Nicole Stott, who made the first painting off of planet Earth, by the way, and distinguished poet, performer, and artist Sam Illingworth from England, and then ask them to collaborate with distinguished scientists like University of Illinois Professor of Atmospheric Science Don Webbles, who served for many years as lead author for the IPCC, and Northwestern University's Professor Daniel Horton, who teaches in their Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences and leads their climate change research group, bring talented people like that together to create free, imaginative, and inspiring global initiatives that combine art and science to open up the conversation about climate and sky, uh, find ways to teach about how climate and sky function and what their vulnerabilities are, answer questions like, you know, what's going on up there and why should you care? And then promote the idea, the crucial idea, that we're one global family and it's only by coming together across cultures and borders that positive outcomes can ever be achieved. What happens on September 21st? Well, September 21st is a celebration of all things sky of, and a, an opportunity to community build and learn about the science, what's going on up there, and why you should care. And we have three ways to take part in Sky Day this year, running now and throughout September. And it's all available on our site at skydayproject.org. And one way is to take a photo of our sky and upload it to Sky Day Project. The idea is to document your experience of our beautiful and dynamic sky by taking a photograph of it, making sure your photo is sky only, and then either upload it directly to the skydayproject.org site or simply tweet it with hashtag skydayproject. And your picture, your experience of the sky will join thousands of photos that right now are being posted to Sky Day Project from all over the world. And each photo stands for a sort of personal connection to our climate and sky and a statement by the citizen artist who sent it in that the time is now to come together across cultures and borders to achieve positive outcomes with pollution and climate. Now, before we get to the other two elements that make up Sky Day, you've been taking the photos last year, uh, the Adler Planetarium took them and put them together and had a piece of art and now they've got a film about it. Yeah. It's it's going cool. Yeah, it's really great. So it's possible for people to take part in Sky Day Project as an individual or they can uh, take part as a school or group and have their own free gallery within the mosaic. And one of those galleries was created by the great Adler Planetarium here in Chicago last year. And this year, um, I've been lucky enough to work with their creative team, Mark Webb and Mike Smale and Meredith Stapien. And we've created a dome video that they're going to be showing all throughout the week leading up to Sky Day to encourage people to get out there, take photographs, learn about the sky. And the dome video is made up of people's pictures from previous years, and they That's come together right. and blow yeah. apart and things yeah. on the dome. Of Swirl a- around the dome. It's very, very nice. cool. They've made it beautiful. And they've shared it with other planetarium too. So we're hoping that many of the world's planetariums will take part. 
Now, you've got some great atmospheric scientists on the project with you, and we talked last year with Daniel Horton. He's an assistant professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Northwestern. Good to see you again. And on the line with us is Don Webbles. He's a professor of atmospheric science at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and a lead author, as you mentioned, from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report, and it's great to hear you, Don. Thanks for joining us. I know you're in Alaska right now, where the sky is lovely. It's actually, if I were to take a, a picture right now for Ben, it would be bright blue. And uh, that's mm-hmm. very unusual in Juneau, Alaska this time of year. So does that make the northern lights better in the evening? Uh, they're not showing right now. Darn. It hasn't quite hit northern that, light season. We, that would be the, about that when we got here. <laughs> that would be the good material for Sky Day, I think. I would think so. <laughs> Explain why you wanted to be involved in a project that does this, that's kind of arts-oriented and reaches out to people about the atmosphere. Certainly. You know, this is really important to me. Um, I recently led the uh, first volume of the National Climate Assessment, U.S. National Climate Assessment, that is uh, required by Congress. And I've been giving a lot of talks about the findings from that. And we had over 50 scientists looking at you know, what is going on with the Earth's climate system, and particularly with the focus on the United States. And when I do that, I feel the importance of reaching out to people, letting them know why this is one of the most important issues humanity is facing. You know, as Sir David King, a former advisor for two prime ministers in the UK, said that, you know, this isn't just the greatest problem of our time. This may be the greatest problem of all time. Um, We need to deal with this. Otherwise, we're going to see very, very large impacts on humanity. So climate change really is a very important issue. So anything we can do to put a focus on what is happening, what is going on in our atmosphere, to show that we are all one people across the world, as Ben says, is really important and really lays at the foundation for us to then talk about, well, what is happening in general to the Earth's climate and why is that meaningful to us? Dan, how would you describe what's happening right now with the Earth's climate? What is going on? I teach a class on modeling. And in modeling, what I'm talking about is writing mathematical equations to simulate what's going on in any sort of system. In this case, we're talking about the climate system. And one of the types of experiments that we often run in the world of modeling is what's called a sensitivity experiment. It's basically turning one knob and seeing what happens. And one of the experiments that we as a society right now are conducting, uh, whether we know it or not, or acknowledge it or not, is we are turning a knob, and that knob is the knob of CO2. And um, that's kind of a scary proposition because we have just the one planet. And so we're, we're running uh, an experiment on this single planet. And uh, there's very good uh, theory, very good evidence that suggests that the impacts of this particular experiment are going to be felt globally. And they're going to affect not only us here in the U.S., but affect others that are incredibly vulnerable in ways that uh, maybe they're not prepared to mitigate or adapt to. Don, you've been working on the National Climate Assessment. Uh, if you were to bullet point it for us, what do you think people should know about it? Well, there's uh, several key points that become very clear. Uh, you know, first of all, our climate is changing, and it's happening right now. It's having an effect on us right now. 
And it's changing extremely rapidly. In fact, based on the best data we have, that it is changing about 10 times more rapidly than it has changed since the end of the last ice age and probably much before that. So it's very difficult for humans and ecosystems to respond to that. And it's much more than just temperature. You know, we always hear about global warming. It seems to be a favorite term of the media. Not so much the scientists, because we've always talked about global climate change, because it's not just temperature. It's the changes in severe weather. And I'll say more, more about that in a second. And sea level rise that are really the huge impacts on, on our society. So in terms of severe weather, we're seeing more heat waves. We're seeing less cold waves. We're also seeing more precipitation coming as larger events. Uh, this is resulting in some regions having a lot more issues with flooding. Other regions are tending to dry more, and so we're having more issues with droughts. We're seeing an increased tendency for large wildfires in the West, and uh, including here in Alaska, where I'm visiting right now. And we're seeing a lot of other impacts related to all those things that are really potentially damaging to the society. The evidence clearly points, as um, Daniel said, to it being caused by human endeavors, particularly the burning of fossil fuels, the land use change that have increased the amount of carbon dioxide and methane and some other really important radiative gases. Gases are really radiatively important to the atmosphere. And the changes in that greenhouse effect was driving all of this change. I think it's also clear that we can do something about this. And that as we look at projections of different futures, it really depends on what choices we make and about what emissions we're going to continue to make of those gases over the coming decades. So the full 475-page report, uh, you can find it at science2017.globalchange.gov. It came out last November. We'll give you a lot more insights into all the evidence and and what we know and, and those things we don't know. And we have a whole chapter on the things we don't know. And that's probably the scariest chapter of all because... Uh, the evidence clearly points that it's those things that we don't know that could really make this bad over the coming decades and probably not going to make it better. Uh, people in our review process, they said, well, why don't you uh, point to the things where climate may not be so bad in the future? And we, we looked at them and there just wasn't many, whereas the things that could be make it even scarier, the, the melting of permafrost in the Arctic region right, you know, right here in Alaska can actually emit more carbon dioxide and more methane in the atmosphere as it's melting. So that's one of those scary things that we're concerned about right now. We're talking about the atmosphere and the sky with Don Webbles. He's a professor of atmospheric science at the University of Illinois. As he said, he's been working on the U.S. National Climate Assessment recently. He's also worked in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change as a lead author. Uh, You know, you spend so much of your time, and so does Daniel, thinking about our atmosphere and our sky. And it seems like we spend so little. Most people just kind of take the whole atmosphere for granted. Um, Now we're in this project that, you know, you're trying to get people to think about it a little bit. Is there some kind of key things that you guys think about that are going to make people pay attention to the atmosphere and have an interaction with it that can encourage people to get involved? Um, Daniel? Yeah, so that's one of the most interesting things about this collaboration, in my opinion, at least from my science perspective. It's using art as a bridge to share a bit of the science and a bit of our understanding of how the atmosphere works, how the climate system works. 
And so we kind of view this as a citizen science, uh, citizen art collaborative. And one of the things that Ben and I have worked on over the past year has, has been I teach a class called The Physics of Weather and Climate. And typically in classes, people have final projects. But I wanted to have a final project that would resonate with the students where the students could kind of do a little bit of outreach similar to what Don and I are often doing. And so what Ben and I have kind of cooked up is this idea that we wanted to create educational content that's embedded in the sky mosaic at the Sky Day Project where people could click on pictures of the sky and on some of the imagery, things would pop up. So science content, like science explainers that tell you what is a mammatus cloud or what is a lenticular cloud and how do they form. Or in some cases, you could click on a picture and it would bring up a video. And that video was created by some of my students at Northwestern. And they got all sorts of creative when they made these videos. Uh, they created things that were very theatrical. They created things that were poetic, uh, on and on. And so we're looking at Sky Day as a medium, a bridge between the art and the science. Don, I wanted to go back to the um, National Climate Assessment for a second. Are there some facts and figures from the National Climate Assessment that would make people stand up and notice? Oh, there's a lot of them in there. One of the problems is getting people to maintain hope in light of all the scary things going on in reality. But one of the key things is since 1980, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, has been tracking what are called the billion-dollar weather events. So these are you know, very large events that have a huge impact on the American people because it affects our pocketbooks through our taxes. And it used to be, if you go back to that early time in that period, you'd see a couple, two or three such events per year. Now we're seeing typically 15, 16 or more such events per year. And the total cost since 1980 to the American taxpayer has been over $1.5 trillion. So it's had a huge impact on us. But you know, a lot of people will say, well, climate change isn't affecting me. I don't really notice it. Well, first of all, I'd ask them to come to Alaska because it's really obvious here. Alaska's changing at twice the rate of the rest of the country. But it really is affecting all of us, and it's affecting us uh, you know, where it hurts, through our taxes, and as well as having cost a number of lives because of the increased intensity of severe events and how that's affected us. So that's just one example. You know, we can do many others because one of the things we're doing is we look at any particular event now, and we're looking at how one can do what is called detection and attribution, where we not only look at the event in terms of, you know, how did this form, but what role did climate change play in that development? And as an example, uh, the big uh, hurricane that hit Houston last year, you know, was much more affected by the fact that the climate had changed than you would have had a much less event, smaller event, if the climate had not changed. You would have had a lot less of the precipitation problems and a lot less strength of, the, of this storm overall if the climate had not changed. We're talking about what's going on with our climate with uh, Don Webbles. He's a professor of atmospheric science at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. And Daniel Horton, who's a member of the Sky Team. He's an assistant professor of earth and planetary science at Northwestern. And we're going to be back and talk more about the artistic end of Sky Day with a couple other guests and Ben Whitehouse, the founder of Sky Day, after the break. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. 
This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonnell. We're continuing on and talking about Sky Day coming up on September 21st. The organization Only One Sky started Sky Day to encourage people and students to get involved with the sky and science and art. And Ben Whitehouse is the founder of the Sky Day Project, and uh, he joins us. And we're going to look at the more artistic side now, which is your wheelhouse as an artist, but uh, a person who is (laughs) fond of science. Yes, that's the whole idea of our project, of our organization, to combine art and science so that we can open up the conversation about pollution, about climate, and about sky, because the fact of the matter is that talking about climate change just isn't easy. Uh, The only thing easy about it is avoiding it. It's not everyone's idea of great dinner table conversation, especially with kids, which given how the next generation is likely to experience the full brunt of climate change in their lifetime, changes that will impact every aspect of their lives, it's not a good situation. And if we can't talk about it, we simply leave ourselves ignorant, passive and unprepared, not to mention easy prey for powerful interests. And worse, we rob our children of the inspiration to prepare themselves through education, through imagination, through curiosity, to embrace what is surely going to be the greatest opportunity of their time. Because the inevitable transition from polluting economies to sustainable ones is one amazing opportunity after another. Everyone's going to need it. Opportunities for innovation, for new businesses, for new leadership, and ultimately for a new definition of what it means to be a citizen, an ecological citizen. And we want to make sure our young people are encouraged to seize those opportunities. So if we can use the power of art, connect it with the best science, and talk about these things, we hope to open up the conversation. One of the young people who has been involved in Sky Day is Desa Boulder, and she is a senior at Lyons Township High School in LaGrange, where she's also the program director at her radio station, which is <laughs> uh, the most important role anyone could have. Of course. Uh, thank you for joining us, Desa. Thank you. Now, explain all the things you've been doing with Sky Day, because you've been doing a bunch. Yes. So I have been working a lot on the social media aspect um, coming from a teenager like this is they need all the help they can get (laughs) so (laughs) i've been working a lot of photography and the organizing and the posting which has been really great to kind of mix the scientific facts with how do we talk about it and how do we get the communication aspect and let people know what's going on which has been really awesome now we've got some clips that you brought us yes so in my lunchroom and around my little area a lot of people know that i've been helping out And so we've actually started talking about the sky more than I've ever talked about the sky before, which has been really fun and a great benefit of this project. So I went around um, my lunch table and my family and kind of found out what the sky meant to people. Hi, my name is Grace DeCoker. And what the sky means to me is looking at the sunrise during morning practice, even though it's super early and the workouts are hard and all the swimmers are really exhausted. It's really peaceful and kind of hopeful and just encouraging to be able to see the sunrise. And it's a really great start to the day. My name's Tiffin Bolger, and I have really enjoyed sending photos into the Sky Day project. But the one thing that occurred to me yesterday when I was jogging and looking up at the sky thinking, oh, I got to take a picture of that. That's beautiful. Is how much I had now been looking up at the sky and seeing just how magnificent, mysterious. I don't know. I was very excited to realize that the Sky Day Project actually was making me more aware. 
Hi, my name's Joe Schuler, and what I love about the sky is cloud watching. Cloud watching, you can imagine anything with those clouds, all right? And also, those clouds give life-giving water, all right? They're the two of the best things over the world, so that's why I love the sky. Those are some of the people uh, Desa Vulture got talking about the sky. That's uh, great. That was your mom who was jogging? Yeah, that was my mom. And now thinks more about the sky. That's yeah. terrific. I get texts from her all the time like, look at the sunset. you got to see this. So I've been getting a lot of messages about it. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also on the line with us is Nicole Stott. And Nicole Stott is an astronaut, a real live NASA veteran. And she's been on the space shuttle. She's been on the International Space Station. She's based in Tampa, Florida. She's also an artist and did the first watercolor that was ever done not on planet Earth. Uh, Great to have you, Nicole. Thanks for joining us and hanging around. You're welcome. It's wonderful to be here. So you are the total synthesis of the whole Sky Day project. You are the artist and the astronaut at the same time. Yeah, I'm really fortunate, I guess, blessed to have that associated with me, I suppose. You know, I'm so thankful to Ben for inviting me to participate in this project. For me, it's all about making a connection. You know, what happened to me in space, of course, seeing Earth, you know, a whole new perspective there on who and where we are, and certainly an impressive view of our sky from space, you know, a totally different look at it. But I've always been a fan of using art as a tool for communication, especially of, you know, complex or obscure things. And actually, that's been my whole mission since retiring from NASA a few years ago is to use my art in kind of a unique way to share my spaceflight experience and to do that so that I can share all the wonderful things that are going on in space, you know, to improve life here on Earth. In fact, our space station motto is off the Earth for the Earth. And I think that's just such a wonderful thing that a lot of people don't even know. And Sadly, a lot of people don't even know that we have a space station, so I'm on on a mission for sure with that. Is that over the front door or something? Is that a little hanging plaque (laughs) there? I mean, how do you do that on the International Space Station? Yeah, well, we just know it and live it. Um, Down on uh, the planet here, uh, it is over doorways. It's in documents. It's on the NASA website. Whenever you look up anything about the space station, you know, the first thing you'll see is their little logo with off the Earth, for the Earth uh, there. And, you know, one of the things that's really great about it, too, is that, you know, for me, this form of communication allows me to, you know, encourage a little bit of earthling and earth appreciation. And Sky Day was just, when Ben presented to me, it was just this perfect example of that. And I've told Ben this before, but I've tried to really hone down what were the lessons that I learned from flying in space. And they're really very simple. I mean, almost like kindergarten level simple. Number one, we live on a planet. Don't think a lot of people think about that already, that we're on a planet. We're all in space. Uh, We're all Earthlings. And the only border that matters is that thin blue line of atmosphere that blankets us all. And that is absolutely why Sky Day was so attractive and important to me. I think it's just this beautiful tie between art and science, you know, to raise awareness and encourage people to take action. And it's all about that thin blue line, and it ties right back to us living on a planet and all being Earthlings and how we have to take care of each other and this place we all share is home. You know, I've heard about this thing called the overview effect that astronauts get, and it sounds like you're kind of describing that, that the kind of thing that happens to you once you're exposed to this vision of 
our universe that is entirely different. Absolutely. And I don't know if you guys have ever spoken to Frank White. He's uh, out of Harvard. He's the guy that coined that term through some of his early studies. But it's just such a wonderful perspective shift because I feel it works this way, too. I mean, you don't have to be looking at the Earth from space to have that feeling, to feel that connectivity to everybody and everything around you. You can do it by looking up at the sky, too. You can by looking up at the stars. You know, I imagine that view in Alaska is just stunning, you know, on a clear night or when there is the aurora. And I think it allows you to make this connection to who and where we are. I mean, it really reminds me, too, of, you know, who better had that overview effect than, you know, our Apollo astronauts going to the moon. And, you know, this year is a cool anniversary with the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8 and that iconic Earthrise image. And to me, it's a perfect you know, message of who and where we are. And it gives us, you know, kind of that ultimate view of that blue line that blankets us all, the sky that protects us. Um, Have you taken any pictures yet for the sky day, Nicole? Yeah, I did. I contributed some last year and I will be doing the same this year. I've also gone through and looked for some of the photos that I had from when I was in space and took pictures of the sky looking down from the space station or the shuttle. That's what and we're I'm after. actually really excited this year because we're encouraging some of my astronaut friends to uh, contribute their archive of photos. And maybe we can even get some from the folks that are on station right now as they're looking at our sky from that vantage point. So I think it'll add kind of a neat little dynamic to the the photo collection this year. Nicole Stott is a astronaut, and she worked on the space shuttle in the International Space Station. She's based in Tampa Bay, Florida, where she is now an artist. And you can go to her website and everything and see her art. I did, and it looks really great. Now, I wanted to ask you, Ben, about some of the other things that are going on, because we haven't mentioned the haikus yet, and I wanted to (laughs) work in a haiku or two here. Yes. So one of our terrific teammates is Sam Illingworth. Dr. Illingworth is an artist. He's a, a poet. He's a performer. And he's also a scientist, a senior lecturer of science communication at Manchester Metropolitan University. And for us at Sky Day, he created an initiative called Skyku, which are inspired by haiku. And the idea is to put into the form of a sky coup your experience with the sky, your thoughts about the sky, your thoughts about climate, anything you want to say to express yourself about your relationship to this amazing thing above our heads. And then please submit them to us at our website. So all of this is available when you go to skydayproject.org. And if you want to read some of the great sky coup that the sky team have written, Um, Just click on that icon, and if you'd like to submit your own Skyku, we can't wait to read them. Let's hear a few Skykus. Hello, everyone. My name is Umis Vazgai. I'm from Inarwa, Nepal. I've been staying in a place called Biratnagar, and my Skyku goes like this. White crystalline balls, still on ground, chase them all. Or they shall chase you all. Sky for me is my blanket in this blue-black cold. It's there, it's not. It all depends on us. Hi, I'm Science Rhymes poet Celia Burrell from Cairns in Australia. My sky coup was inspired by learning that Earth's atmosphere 
is comparable to the thickness of the skin of an apple. Yet, it protects us from smaller falling objects from space and gives us the breath of life. Summer gratitude, inhaling skies unwrinkled, fragile barrier. I'm Dan Simpson, I live in London in the UK, and this is my Skyku. We tuck ourselves in, folding sky to our bodies. Too warm, we wake up. I suppose to me the sky is like a blanket, and blankets make us feel safe and secure. But of course, we are overheating in our blanket of the sky because of our actions causing climate change. I think we need to treat the sky a lot better. My name is Maria and I live in England. This is my Skyco. It's our cinema. Today, clouds and rain on show. Let's not reach the end. When thinking about the sky, I realize that we constantly live looking at the sky. Is it going to rain? Will it be sunny this weekend? And that is why I chose the metaphor of the cinema. Always looking at what's on. And like a really good film, you don't want it to end, so we don't want to see the final consequences of climate change. Alright, people have some hard work to do to top those sky coups. Uh, you can put your sky coup at the skydayproject.com. Uh, those are pretty terrific. I think that your friend there is doing a great job with Sam Ellingworth. Yeah. He's accumulating nice coups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not the only thing that's happening on Sky Day because we also are inviting people to just tell us what the sky means to them as Desa did with her friends. So hashtag Sky Day Project. Tweet something, say something. Let your voice be heard about what you think about all of this. Maybe make an Instagram video and post it, hashtag Sky Day Project. We'd be very interested to hear your perspective. As we gain a greater appreciation for the sky, uh, we're all going to have to do something more than what we're doing now about climate change. Do you have some key things you think people should get out there and do? You started this thing. Uh, ben, will you, you go ahead? Well, when I started this thing, and started thinking about myself, my life, my family, I read that there are two major ways that families use energy and waste energy. One is with your home. Homes can be energy efficient or they can be huge wasters of energy. So I went around and did what I hope and I think a lot of people have done, which is change the light bulbs and seal areas which were wasting energy in the winter and thought about getting more energy efficient air conditioners and all of that kind of thing. The second was the automobile, another huge way that any of us who are lucky enough to own an automobile can waste energy or cause pollution. So what I did was I decided not to buy another car until I could save, 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 save while my old car got worse, 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 worse and worse and uglier and uglier and until I could afford an electric vehicle knowing that I could then um, drive around and not be emitting. I also made sure that my local energy company was a clean energy company. So now... Our home is getting wind turbine energy and is not getting coal burning energy. Let me ask Nicole Stott, an astronaut, what kind of things are you doing? You know, I'll just share that 
you know, those three little lessons that I said about, you know, we live on a planet where all earthlings and that thin blue line, there is not a day goes by now that that is not either in the back or the front of my head, you know, in every decision I'm trying to make. And, and, you know, it's everything as simple as don't give me the straw at, you know, at the restaurant to the kinds of things that Ben was talking about. And then as I look at just, I don't know, just life in general, I think that we all need to be considering more of the kind of cradle to cradle, uh, you know, approach to things where anything we buy, anything we do, we consider the consequence of it. And, you know, everybody can do their thing. I think that's what's so great about this is that, you know, that kind of collective does um, make change. One of the other ways I try to look at it now is that uh, maybe it's something like global is the new local. You know, we live on a small planet. And the other side of the planet is not that far away. And it really is, and we're all in this together kind of thing. And I know that sounds a little bit kumbaya, maybe. But I think if everybody just considered that one thought, that we are on a planet, we're all earthlings, this interconnectivity, this long-term thinking is what will continue to maintain this thin blue line and everything else about the planet that was put here in place, I think very purposefully, to ensure our survival. Uh, Desa Bolger from Lyons Township High School, what do you think we should be doing out there to better the situation? I mean, speaking from a high schooler, you know, I'm 17, so it's not like I have all of the resources and am in control of like my energy or anything like that. So you didn't wreck the planet. We did. Right. You know, I'm just coming into (laughs) it. So I feel like you just have to add it into your routine. So I read somewhere that the average American makes like four and a half pounds of trash a day. And I was like, that's crazy. So I bought a compost bin. Uh, I got it for Christmas. And, you know, I worked with my community and we got curbside composting. So I feel like it's things like that where you take 10 minutes of your day and say, like, what can I be doing right now to, like, learn how to throw something away, like a banana peel in my backyard that's not going in a, you know, landfill? Or how do I buy peanut butter without getting the plastic jar? It's just, like, the littler things, especially when you are a full-time student and you don't have your own house or an actual income, like just the things of what can I prevent from adding in at this point until I can, you know, get a house, get some money, get a little bit more free time. Yeah. And Daniel Horton, who was with us in the first segment, an assistant professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Northwestern University, wants to weigh in also on what you can do. Uh, I think all the suggestions that we've heard so far are great, and they all talk about what I kind of put in the category of behavioral change. I know myself included, getting myself to change my behaviors is a super challenging thing. But I think this is a a grand challenge, and it's a challenge that's going to require behavioral change on national to global scales. And so one of the key things that I think about as an educator is simply that I'm educating the next group of voters. And so the most important thing that I think you can do is educate yourself and vote accordingly. And the key here is that solutions to climate change exist We've been talking about these two ideas, mitigation and adaptation, since 1990, since the first IPCC report. And we need to embrace some of these ideas. The solutions exist, and we need to prepare for the changes that are coming and possibly mitigate some of them. Daniel Horton from uh, Northwestern. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, Ben Whitehouse is the founder of the Sky Day Project. You can find out more information at skydayproject.com. And thanks for joining us. Sky Day is the 21st. If people want to really celebrate all the way and take a picture of the sky that day and add it on, 
And congratulations on all you're doing. Thank you. Pleasure. Uh, thanks also to Desa Bolger and thanks to Nicole Stott from Tampa Bay, Florida. Coming up after the break, we'll find out about a new film from the Philippines that delves into corrupt politicians, the role of the Catholic Church, and a serial murderer. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. The seventh season of Asian Pop-Up Cinema just started this week. It features 17 films from Asia and runs through November 14th. Tonight, a film from the Philippines makes its U.S. premiere. Smaller and Smaller Circles is about two priests with an expertise in forensic. They're looking for a serial killer. Here is the lead character, Father Gus, texting with Father Jerome about the essentials of the case. He worked in the dump as a scavenger, breadwinner of the family at 13. When I was 13, I was in school. I was lonely and a misfit, but at least I was in school. had your own cross to bear. That's a click from Smaller and Smaller Circles. It is premiering today at the uh, the uh, AMC River East at 7 p.m. And the director, Rhea Martin, is here. Congratulations on the film. Nice to have you. Thank you very much for having me, Jerome. As is Milos Stelik, our film contributor. Good to see you, Milos. Hey, Jerome. Great to be here. What's up with Philippine cinema, Milos? You know, people always say, where is cinema happening? And one of the places that it's really happening is in the Philippines because there's a new generation of filmmakers who are young, very, very active, and have really developed a very original aesthetic in each case. Um, And really the best, and I would say that the majority of all of Chicagoans have never seen a Philippine film. And the great place to start is really this film, Smaller and Smaller Circles, because it's accessible. It's a suspenseful because it's a thriller. It's quirky because its main characters are two Jesuit priests who are – and there's a really great political, social background, and it's beautiful. So that's a lot to ask of a single film to pull off, and this film does it. Way to go, Rhea. <laughs> <laughs> now, t- this was a best-selling book in the Philippines, yeah. I understand, for about 10 or 15 years ago? Well, um, the way they, they, they market it is that it's the first Filipino crime novel, but essentially it's the first Western-style um, crime novel. And the writer who's now based in Singapore, um, F.H. Patakan, uh, she used to be a, a journalist, um, and I think she, she was working for uh, t- investigative TV shows, but she also used to be 
working for the government intelligence. And so that's how she was able to get all these information and eventually put it in her in her book. And it used to be of um it used to be a novella that was very famous with university students because it was uh, published uh, by by the university press. But uh, a few years back, uh, a New York-based um, uh, uh, publishing house picked it up, and so they they developed it into a, a longer, um, a f- a full novel this time, and that's the basis for the the movie. So what attracted you to to the book? Um, it's very real. <laughs> once you once you read it, um, the way she writes it, it's very. It reads like a screenplay for one. And so I, but I think the peculiar thing is that you read it in like a Western style of literature, but it feels familiar. Like she talks about. Um, you feel like you're in a foreign uh, movie story, but then she talks about the, the the smell of Manila or like walking around in the Manila, around Manila at, at night, and you feel like you're being followed, and 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 so it's it's strange for me as a Filipino to 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 read uh, something like this. I gotta ask a question about how it's going over in the Philippines because, <laughs> right, like right now, the storyline is almost identical to reality. It's, sure. it's a parallel to um, what the the president and his anti drug campaign right. is. There's lots of murders, and the murders that attract the most attention are the ones of young people or the most outrage or the murders of young people. And here in this film, you are, you've got young people getting murdered. Right, I'm uh, having goosebumps like. Because um, when we decided to make it into a movie, we didn't know it was going to happen. Duterte wasn't president yet. (laughs) Um, And then uh, as soon as we decided on a date, uh, the the local release, it was really around the same time that all these murders were on the newspapers. So it was – um, it was strange to kind of have it side by side, having a film review next to still photos of 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 the murders and of of, of the surroundings. And um, uh, someone pointed me to uh, – there was a published a photo essay about uh, these killings in the New York Times – um, that of course the Duterte and his administration were angry about calling it like fake news. Um, uh, that the, the photos looked uh, exactly like the film stills, and so we were like, "Well, but this is real." So it was kind of like strange when we when we came out. But to make it more interesting, it people only seemed to connect to the news when the movie came out. So then they only started to talk about it, but through the movie. So it seems like they had like an emotional, I would say, like uh, emotional connection to to what was happening through the through the movie rather than through the news. But it makes sense, right? Yeah, <laughs> with what's happening to the world right now. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I guess <laughs> um, we're talking about the film Smaller and Smaller Circles. Its U.S. premiere is tonight. At seven at the AMC the AMC River East Theater, and the director is Rhea Martin. Uh, the the film, uh, you know, it also looks really. Uh, it's fast paced. It's stylish, and you've got a couple of uh, quirky priests in the middle of it. That's <laughs> kind of uh, uh, the idea that a couple of priests are the are are. are Forensics experts. It's kind of uh, fun. It's super <laughs> funny. I think it's amazing. Um, 
and also like I think that's why I was attracted to 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 the material in the first place. Um, but when we released it, people were like, "But." Where's the action? It's like, what do you expect? These are like two priests going, at, trying to go after killer, like a, a killer, a serial killer. But they're priests. Like you, you don't expect them to to run or like, what do they do? Do like, do they pray? <laughs> well, but they have a they have they are very uh, they have great dialogue and they're very critical, especially for example in, right. in, in the situation with the I don't know if it's the bishop or archbishop, yeah. because the, the, there's the background, of course, of the cover up of of ab- abuse of children by the church. So there's a, an element of that in the background, and what I love about it is is, is that none of the characters are really stereotyped because even at the level that they are good guys or bad guys, there's always the other side is is, is present there. So it's never, and it really, it's a film that works through atmosphere. Part of that is, of course, the visuals, because a lot of it's at night and it looks beautiful, but also the music. I mean, I love this uh, kind of uh, semi-sacred score, which is sung by a children's choir. Yes, yeah. Well, I've, 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 I've worked with... Um uh, this specific choir, they're um, world famous. They, they win, they go around and win a lot of awards. Uh, 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 but I thought it was um, it was creepy to kind of talk about dead children and have a children's choir yeah. um, score the, the the movie. And then I guess it it, it worked. It, it, it works. <laughs> You know what you said. Uh, I, I think in, in in some interview you said that it is important for people to write about their own cinemas and not let it be left to those outside to dictate what matters. So this was something that was written to you, right, by your friend, the film critic Alexis uh, Tioseco. Right. Do you agree with that? And how would you how would you talk about that about how Filipino cinema has come up and developed its own sensibility? Well, before I made Smaller and Smaller Circles, I did a couple of like avant-garde movies, and they usually talk about Filipino history. Like, um, that's really my main, I guess, like um, uh, entry point into into cinema. Um, and if if you look at the history of the Philippines, you know, like it's it's written by uh, colonists, and and so we only kind of grasp your your own identity through the words of of um, American writers, um, European writers, and and I think it's it's kind of time to go back through these different sources and kind of find who you are and retell the story and say like, um, wait a minute, uh, you know, like uh, I don't think that's really what happened, and and so once you start to open that door, it kind of like changes everything. So you kind of see that. That's not really what happened, and it's important, especially now that um, we're in the age of like I don't know, like mirrors, just like more and more mirrors. So um, it's it's important to talk about um, to start with history, basically, um, to to figure out or to I guess see why we ended up where we are at the moment. 
You start with history and then it comes out experimental. <laughs> well, and this came, and you said. Which history is supposed to be boring and, and stultifyingly straightforward. But this right. came from your parents, right? Because you said that you were like a Simpsons family, except that you talked a lot about Philippine his, history and about Maoist ideology and right. about the Cold War or poor consumerism. I mean, like, that's the usual uh, conversation over dinner. But I mean, if you, if you see Homer and uh, Marge being uh, two activists. Uh, uh, going against the uh, Marcuses during their their, their time, no, but <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess um, I just I just fell into that circumstance where the, the we we talk normally about um, what's happening uh, around us politically um, seems to be just like an you know like an everyday thing for us, so. Rhea Martin is the director of Smaller and Smaller Circles. You can see it tonight at 7 o'clock at the AMC River East 21, and he'll be there. You're going to chat with people and the whole bit. So (laughs) a great opportunity for people. And film contributor Milos Stalik, great to have you, and we'll see you in a couple of days on Friday in your regular stint. Great to be here, Jerome. Tomorrow on Worldview, I'm going to talk with uh, Manish Jain. He's someone who went to Harvard and Brown in this country, and he decided to do some unlearning and create his own experimental university in India. There are no diplomas. People uh, can come and pay what they want, and young people create their own curriculum at Sawaj University, and we'll learn something about experimental learning tomorrow on Worldview. Hope you can join us. Don't forget, you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for WBEZ Worldview. Or click subscribe at the wbez.org slash worldview site. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum, Julian Haida, Amber Fisher, Galilee Abdullah, and thanks to Vivian, Viviana Garcia Blanco for production assistance. Thanks to Mike Gilmore for engineering. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ.